Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Yes, indeed. Good morning. There is a war for my soul, your soul too. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you again for this very beautiful day, that you are the one, the the awesome one, the holy one, the one who has all control over all of this. And we trust you, Lord Jesus. We rest our hope fully in you, that you will complete the work you've begun in us, that you will keep us and the things which we have committed unto you against that day, against that day of judgment, against that day of of, uh, reckoning, Father God. I thank you, Lord. You said also, if you have eyes, use them. If you have ears, hear. And so give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive the revelation of the vision, lest we perish. You said your people perish for lack of knowledge, for lack of revelation, for lack of vision. They lose, they, they cast off restraint. They give up. And so today I pray that you'd help us to get it. Open our eyes. And Lord God, I thank you, Jesus. You finished the work when you died on the cross, and we will not insult you by adding good works to your already finished work but that we are privileged to live and abide in your work, in you, in your righteousness. You are our righteousness. Our being right doesn't make us righteous. Your righteousness makes us righteous. So thank you, Lord. We also thank you for the promise that no weapon formed against us will prosper. So that today and in the days ahead, we ask for the shields of God to come, protect, cover us, keep us safe from the interferences, the obstructions, the attacks, the assaults of the evil one. For our families, those who work for us, pray for us and love us. We know how the enemy goes about prowling like a roaring lion, seeking whom whom he may devour. And we need to have your protection, Lord, on our people, on our families, on those who are listening today, that they would be enhanced and blessed by listening, that you'd connect the dots, that the revelation of Jesus Christ would set us free. And Lord Jesus, you are the faithful witness and the wonderful counselor, so we ask you now to guide us by your spirit as we discuss who we are. Amen. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome back. Good to see you again. I'm, I'm here. So who do you think you are? Well, um, interesting. And, there was a uh, television series a while back called Who yeah. Do You Think You Are? That was People quite interesting. Just, they went back into their many generations and yeah. discovered you know, where they were from, mm-hmm. what the professions were of their ancestors and so forth. Mm-hmm. I guess you can go to Ancestry.com and find a lot of well, that stuff, too. There's but, your commercial for Ancestry. Now, listen yeah, to right. me. There it um, is. It's interesting. Just one comment on that show, and then we're going to go to Who Do You Think You Are? And how do you form your concept of who we are? On that show, they always went back and found their kings and queens and whoever was related in the generations. And what I found so fascinating was what they never commented on was how much their life today looks exactly like the life of the king or queen or ancestor that they came from. The, the patterns of demonic judgment come down the bloodline. And though we not, are not all necessarily, and thank God, kings and queens, because they have more problems in their life if you're of royal descent, have kings and castles and coats of arms in your family, you're going to have a little more problem, but than a commoner. But today we're going to talk about who do you think you are? Where do you come from? Well, we have an identity crisis, you know, personally. Since and, the and fall of man, we've had an a spiritual the, identity crisis. Right, and then know? there's a case of mistaken identity. And, and really, in our, we look around our world today, confusion over who we really are mm-hmm. is the order of the day. Yeah. You know, part of it is well, ignorance, yeah. part of it is rebellion. It gets to be, you know, spiritual, of course, is the root of it, and it it affects all society, culture, and so forth. Well, if Satan can confuse your identity and who you think you are, 
if he can scratch that very foundation stone and knock it out of place, there's nothing to build on. Mm-hmm. And that's really what he's done in, in terms of our, our identity these days. Well, one guy said, uh, when I discover who I am, I'll be free. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of truth there. But, you know, a lot of times we say, okay, who am I? You know, a little child grows, develops, yeah. and learning who they are. You know what? Did you know when I was a little child, you just reminded me. I asked my mother one time when I was about five years old, I said to her, Mommy, am I nice? I wanted to know who I was. I wasn't getting enough feedback to make a conclusive decision about whether I was nice or not, considering the rat race I'd been born into. So I actually was perceptive enough to ask the question but unfortunately she wasn't able to answer the question so, so, to my satisfaction so I still didn't know if I was nice or not I figured I was I liked myself and so that was what I went on from there but um, you know she's a good mother but she's just way too busy and that was a, a kind of a stunning thing you know you don't have a five-year-old firstborn well, ask something like that well we have a desire to discover our to identity, know yeah who to we know are our identity and so we can take on our identity by our name you know mm-hmm. of course first that's one of the most obvious things our name, uh, you know, you particularly. But here's the problem with the name. I sorry, sorry to interrupt you. We don't get to pick our name usually. We don't get to pick our <laughs> name. And back in the old Old Testament, ancient days, your name really meant something. Yeah. And it spoke of your character, and it still is true. I met a a, a lady, a cashier, um, uh, at at a store recently, and I commented about her name. Mm-hmm. And her name was Rebecca. And I said, well, we have a daughter named Rebecca. And she says, I just, she went on and on for about two minutes about how she hated her name. Oh, wow. She mm-hmm. hated her mm-hmm. name. But, you know, and so we can take on our identity by, say, our physical appearance. Mm-hmm. If we're tall, short, heavy set, by our clothing. Sometimes we try to establish yeah. our identity by our clothing, our, um, our gifts, our ability, our race, our nationality. Our environment, yes, our culture, you know, where yes. where we where we live, our causes, our education. You know, I have a I'm a doctor, so and so. Yeah, I think uh, you know. Again, can I interrupt you? By our causes, by our culture, by what people say we should be doing and and wanting and pursuing and lobbying for. And I think we get caught up in a lot of that. Uh, being defined then by what drives us. What, yeah, what society expects us to do, expects us to be. You got to be this, this way, that way. You got to have this look, that look. Go to this college, this college. Mm-hmm. Then you have to have your certain occupation. You can be designed. You know, I'm a farmer. I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor. Right. People are defined by their wealth, their material goods, or mm-hmm. defined by their poverty. You know, they're on the wrong yeah, side absolutely. of town, or their age. Um, you know, I'm just a, a young guy or I'm too old or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people, Marjorie, yeah. even define themselves by their medical condition. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm sick. I'm depressed. I'm, I'm you know, worn out. I'm right. Yeah. I'm it, too it, old for this or that. And, and they, they're living with a medical condition that. They and they're living with. with a definition that is actually destroying, cutting off their their intentional, purposeful desire to live. I think a lot of people. We don't live our lives with intent. We don't live our lives intentional and focused and, and, and confident that there's a purpose here. We, we kind of flounder around looking for our identity um, well, and waiting for other people to define us. What other, you know, until we identify ourselves by our sex or our, lack our the transition of sex or lack thereof. We have gone from one sex to another or we just mm-hmm. want to be identified as non-sexual. That's going on in our country mm-hmm, today. Mm-hmm. Uh, our marital status, you know, I'm single, I'm married, I'm divorced. Um, you know, can I kind of sum this all up? You're kind of saying that 
um, we're defining ourselves by our goals and by the adjectives that we add to our lives. Um, uh, right. You know, when, when, uh, when we're um, defining ourselves by our goals, turns out if you're successful, then you de- de- deem yourself to be successful. Um, if it doesn't work out, you're driven and straining to try and, and make much effort to try to define yourself according to that goal, that purpose, because you hate failure, then you're going to be living a life that's, that's out of focus. It's going to be stressed. Um, and, and so those adjectives can be things like uh, he's intense, he's driven, he's merciless, she's untrustworthy, she's trustworthy, she's angry, he's impulsive. All of these kinds of things, you know, begin to define your character, really, but they also have the way then of, of defining who you are, because people actually see us through our behavior. They see us not, not through the being, the original being of God, but through a, de- a behavior that defines us. Right. They, they, they see what we do. They give us labels, nicknames. Right. Uh, they re- how they react to us, what our reputation is, what their opinion are, opinion is of us, and they judge us. So, sure, so we we're think judged. We, and then we, when they judge us, we judge ourselves according to that. Well, and sometimes we judge ourselves based on who people think we are. And who we, we want th- to be in their eyes. Who we want to be in their eyes. That's a bad one. And that can be totally inaccurate, you know, and, def- oh. uh, and very destructive. And so here's, here's an interesting quotation. There's some truth here, and there's some things that are not true. It's like we define ourselves by, okay, who we think we are. And here's what one guy said. Uh, he said, it's like everyone tells a story about themselves inside their own head, mm-hmm. always, all the time. The story makes you what you are, and we build ourselves out of that story. Yep, it's called self-talk. It's, and it, yeah, and it can be a a, a very distorted yes, fantasy absolutely. world. That story, yes. And it can be a combination of things that are true, and it can be, oh. a, 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 and also a combination of many many distortions. If, yes, and if the thing is not completely true, then it's a lie. And so mm-hmm. Satan works in this debate between our souls, which is our mind, will, and emotion, that software, and the spirit software, which defines us according to God's will and word. <clears throat> and so this debate goes on and on. And so the story he is, uh, the yarn he is telling, uh, the tale he's telling, the thing he's trying to get us to con- be convinced of is what is going on in our head. And if we don't stop and realize not, that not everything you're thinking and everything you're meditating on, everything you're feeling is really you not every thought you think or thoughts you thought those are temptations the enemy wants you to hook into to begin to believe you're stupid no good unloved judged got to do this better at that whatever driven to do something to and this is the interesting thing about what the devil always does he always sets you up to go after something you already have like he did that with eve she already had eternal life she already had a fellowship with god she already had wisdom access to all the wisdom in the in the cosmos and yet Satan says, um, you'll know more what's on, you'll be wise, you won't, li- you won't die, you'll live forever. Well, Satan, <clears throat> Satan's, uh, one of his favorite little statements is, look at you. That's part of what we would, we would call <clears throat> self-talk, but it's not really us, it's the enemy. And yeah. this is one of the things that he, he is wanting to r- define us. Yes, exactly. Satan is wanting to define uh-huh. us, he's wanting to redefine us, that sort of thing. And but one of the things that he says to us in, in our minds, and we don't realize mm-hmm. often, we, like you said, we don't realize that it's him. It's not just us. Right. We don't. We say, oh, it's me. It's just me. Me is not you. You are an I am. And speaking of the I am, the great I am made us in His divine image exactly. and created us uh, with His will by His through His will and intent. And so we're made 
to love what he loves and hate what he hates. So he, he points at us. He says, he'll say, look at you. And sometimes it's, um, he wants to exalt us. He wants to exalt us with pride and that or we, he we, we are all that. Yeah, or to confuse mm-hmm. us yep, yep. or to discourage us. Look at you. Look at how you failed. You're, you know, what's going to happen now? And he, he tries mm-hmm. to bring fear. Mm-hmm. So we're living by fear, mm-hmm. fear of fear of man, mm-hmm. fear of what people think, what fear, fear of failure, what oh, fear, yeah. fear of oh, what yeah. people are, are Such saying, a or will circle. say, mm-hmm. what will they think? Oh, yeah. That sort of thing. It's like, wow. And so, but he is, he is, he is goal is to keep us from discovering and thinking and acting <laughs> according to who we really are. And yeah. of course he is the, our great adversary accuser, deceiver, liar. And God's intention for us is to create us uh, in the image of Jesus Christ, perfect us, uh, bring us into that place of where his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works made in. So that's the goal of God is to make us more like Jesus, make us more, bring us more into that divine truth and um, confidence and relationship with him. But the problem is, again, um, like even in the in the book of Luke, for example, nine forty six, we have the disciples after a big busy day. They're on their way. Uh, then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. Now this interesting care, desire to wanting to be good, wanting to be great, wanting to be successful, not wanting to be a god or someone who's in in control, someone who's in control to be somebody famous um, is innately part of what it means actually to be made in the divine image and nature of God, because in the likeness of God, because God is holy, God is good, God is great, God is full of power, God ha- succeeds, and we as the little I am's also have that innate desire. But when we're thrown into the snake pit of life, Satan con- convolutes all that stuff and, and makes us to believe we don't have that anymore. He obscures our divine nature and psychologically reconditions you, sets you up through the pit, the experiences, the words of other people, what's happening to you, to redefine us according to what would be a problem. Satan wants to create in you a, a series, a, a set of problems so that he can go and fix those problems for you. And in the process of you fa- having these problems, being vulnerable, taking his advice, taking his solutions, we come into agreement with him. That creates sin, according to James 1, 14, 15. And then we're set up in a problem. Then we have to go all the way back to basics. It's interesting. There's a great uh, professional football coach uh, uh, years ago. Uh, his name was Vince Lombardi, and what he would do at the beginning of every season, here are these guys that played, you know, when they're in the elementary school, junior high, high school, college, they play, have played years of professional football, and every every at the beginning of every season, he would take a football and hold up, hold it up in front of his whole team and said, gentlemen, this is a football. So, you think that's ridiculous, but he wanted to bring them back to the very fundamental part mm-hmm. Of, mm-hmm. of of the game. And so Genesis one twenty six, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. Mm-hmm. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Amen. All right. So that's that, what it means. It means that we're beginning. made in the image of God, image and nature and likeness of God. But Satan has used his opportunities on this earth to 
clothe our divine nature or cover our divine nature with the clothing of sinful human nature. And so that sets us up with the problem of sin and trying to solve the problems of sin and struggle against sin and trying to, you know, be good and all this stuff. Um, but he has, uh, he has to convince, for, for this to work, Satan has to play into our curiosity and into our um, dissatisfaction. Of course, we don't like the pit down here. We don't like the injustices. We don't like the, you know, the sin. And so Satan convinces us that we need something that, like I said, we already have. And then he sets us up to go after it. And then, or someone is going after something they want at our expense. And therefore, then you have the sin. Then you have the offenses. Then you have the problems. We're fearfully and wonderfully made already. Um, but we're deceived and left uh, unconvinced because here's why. Because we don't feel good because about ourselves. Because other people don't say nice things about us. Because people do bad things. They take advantage of us because of our environment. Because we're not convinced that we're great or good or complete because we're so dissatisfied and, and convinced that we have to do something in order to get something, in order to be something. And so Satan's whole world philosophy in uh, Colossians says, don't be deceived by the philosophies of this world, that we have to have things. Um, in order to be something. Yes, be successful. You have money, you know. So, but, does, but having things does not make us who we already are. You already are. All, you know, the great, awesome thing, that, our feelings about ourselves are not accurate are not not an accurate measure either for we are because satan can tempt you in your feelings just like in your thoughts to make you feel state of being our state our true state of being who you are is not a collection of various accomplishments or clubs that we belong to or activities we participate in um it's not a collection of adjectives it's not defined by the adjectives or activities or accomplishments but but by, by who God says we are, um, we are to live by, you know, it's not defined by where we live either or by, by what we can afford to eat or where we can afford to eat. So many of us, you know, place ourselves in the stratus of society based on what we can afford, what we drive, where we can eat out, how much, you know, blah, 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 what, how expensive clothing can we, can we wear. That does not define us. Um, going back to Luke a minute. So he's got this dispute going on among the disciples. And this dispute was as to which one of them would be the greatest. And Jesus, perceiving or knowing their thoughts, the thoughts of their hearts, took a little child and set him in their midst. And he said, whoever receives the little, this little child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is, not, for he who is least among you all will be great. This is the total exact opposite of what Satan wants to do. Jesus said, Greatness is defined by the reduction of self, becoming like a little child, going back to the place of trust, going back, back to the place of reliance upon God. Um, for he who is least among you will be the great one. Um, the, the last will be first. You know, and in the story of Lazarus and the rich man, we have a very good picture of what this looks like. Lazarus's placement in the bosom of Abraham had nothing to do with his accomplishments, activities, social status, or where he could afford to eat. had nothing to do with that, obviously. What did it have to do with then? It had to do with him being a created child of God who had acknowledged his identity as a son and heir to the wealth of God, which is eternal. Even though his um, 
condition, his social condition, his environmental condition, his uh, status was his finances not, was very was very bad. He was yeah. how he got that way. I don't know, but the main the main thing is that he he held on to his the he truth. held on to the truth his, his identity possession. as 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 a son of God. And Jesus said, you know, a man's life does not consist in the abundance yep. of the things that he possesses. Mm-hmm. And so. You know the soul of that 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 uh, Lazarus was you know is with the Lord forever because, because he didn't let go of he didn't give in give up or or or, or um, despise his his, his God given divine right. nature and he not only was a child of God but became a son of God which means you you acknowledge your inheritance a lot of people are children of God but they never come into sonship or identity of sonship because that is another place of identity. When Jesus talked to the guy who was paralyzed, he said, son, and your sins are forgiven you. Son is a place of restoration identity. Woman, where are your accusers? God was bringing them back to the place of, of recognizing who they are. And this is where an addict or anybody who's struggling with anything needs to come. Just, Wait a minute. This using like this, this, this thing that controls, that's not who I am. I am. I don't need that. I wasn't created by God in his divine nature to be an addict, to be a pervert, to be a, 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 you know, a, a loser. God, Jesus says, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. And we get to that a little bit further in that chapter in Luke. But, you, you know, your, your, our behavior says a lot about us, but it does not equal our true identity. You know, you, we behave what we believe, whether mm-hmm. it's lies or truth. Yeah. That's how we so behave. So belief is really important. But a lot of times the way we behave may be totally uh, out of character, mm-hmm. contrary or out of character with our original Absolutely. or our new nature in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, we so have, the new nature in Christ is really a restoration to the old divine nature that got so corrupted and polluted and, and di- sidelined and, 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 and ambushed in the pit where we took on a sinful human nature. A sinful human nature is a predisposition to be clothed with what's going on around you. Satan wants to put these clothing, this clothing on us of, of sinful nature but we're still divine beings, and so therefore we have to throw off the old man and be clothed right. with righteousness, which is basically the process of life down here. So what, what has happened oftentimes in the church, we've taken this, what we call this sinful human nature right. that has affected us, interpenetrated us because of the influence of Adam. It's kind of in, it's in, our, like in our DNA. It's in the but, snake pit. But, but we think. We think that's our first nature. Mm-hmm. We define ourselves first as by our sin. As, we as define ourselves sinners. by our sin right. and not the sun. And that's exactly what Satan tries to do. Switch the gospel from sun to sin and get you to fix yourself. That does not mean that we are, uh, we are not sinners. doesn't right. mean we are not but we are sinners. sinners. But sinners but... and sinning is an adjective. Just right. like, just like uh, you know, um, being driven or intense is an adjective. So... When we get to the place where we can understand that this life that I've been given, and you guys, you have been given a life. Think about this. You are not a puppy. You're not a rock. You're not a leaf on a tree. God has defined you, called you forth, made you in his image, and and given you an opportunity to rule and reign with him for all eternity. If you want it, if you want to believe him, if you believe his report, if you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel of good news and grace, not a gospel of be good and, and, and try harder. So if I accept my life 
as a gift from God. If you don't accept your life as a gift from God, you will despise the gift. You are the gift. You despise yourself. Satan's trying to set us up in opposition to ourselves to get us to, to despise the eternal life, the sonship, the potential that God has given us to be, to be joint heirs with him, rule and reign forever in the family of God. Satan wants you to despise your, despise your life by setting you up to always look at your life from the wrong, in the wrong light, that I don't have this, I don't have that, I don't deserve, I'm unworthy, I'm no good, not good enough. That is his bottom line basic accusation against mankind, not good enough to go to heaven. Well, that's right. We're not good enough to go to heaven, so Jesus had to die to make a way for us, and now we go to heaven because of his righteousness, not because of our good deeds. But Satan is very jealous, and he wants to convince you that God doesn't like you, and you don't like God, and you're not good enough to go to heaven anyway. And so the enemy wants to keep us away from Jesus because it is, it is only yeah. in Jesus Christ, in knowing Jesus Christ and believing him, trusting him, that we find a discover our true identity as, as the, the sons and daughters of the living God. Yeah, going back to the idea of being created in the image of God, you know, we, we must accept our life as rare, as unique, as an opportunity, as a gift from God, an awesome opportunity, a rare gift. No one, it's, it's yours, given to you, you alone, you by name. God knows you by name. He created you. He didn't just create a whole bunch of cookie-cutter Christian people, whatever. He created us for a divine purpose. He imparted into us specific needs and personalities and, and specific um, tasks that he was going to call us to do. Created and were created not by the will of man. How many people have brought, been brought forth, born into a very, in a very untimely situation? Maybe your parents were not born. Maybe your, your, your father never showed up again. Uh, maybe um, whatever. You feel like you're a burden. Like you're, you're the, the reason my mom's life was ruined. She didn't get to go back to school. Whatever, whatever. That's all a bunch of garbage. Are you the reason that mom and dad divorced or something like right. that? Right. You know. So, but we are not made come forth, brought forth by the will of man or by the product of random chance. Then there is no father image. There is no origin. There is no way home because there is no home. If you're a random product of evolution, there is no home. There is no father. There's no origin and there's no coming home. No matter how we got here, you know, um, whether we came here through an act of sexual immorality or we came here through just very dire situations. Or, no matter how we got love. here, God's got us here. He is God the one. God has got us yeah. here. Yes. And he's got us here for a unique. And, and he does not judge you about by the way you got here or the circumstances right. under which you, you were born. He does not judge you by that. So don't you be judging you by that. That has nothing to do with who you are. You are here now. You're a human being. You have a mind, a heart, a soul to know God. So that's what we need to And there is a uniqueness of purpose that you have regardless of your race, sex, family, origin. There is a purpose that God has for you in that. And so it's, it's, and the thing is, too, we have to recognize there's a uniqueness about us. We don't have to go trying to be unique. <clears throat> Excuse me. Or trying to be do, yourself. To be different. Try, you can't be anybody to be, else. Trying to be yourself. Be who God has called you to be. And, and answer to Him. That's where the freedom is, and it's it's not always easy to find that. But in Christ, we have that. We have that. We spirit. have that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing is that we are already all the things you're striving to do, uh, to get to be, uh, striving to be by doing it won't happen. But we already are created by God. We already are 
good, holy. The Bible is uh, Psalm, I think, 86, 1 or 2. You are holy. We already are good and great in God's sight and holy and loved and precious in his eyes. You know, you look at a baby. The parent looks at that baby and they see that, that goodness, that love, that, that precious innocence. So really, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So if God is looking at us, he sees one thing. If we're looking at ourselves through the demonic lenses Satan has set up in your life, you're going to see yourself as not as flawed and not perfect and not good. and not. But true value, the value and goodness and worth, innocent child, is in the eyes of the parent. If the parent has an evil eye filtered with uh, bloodshed and vengeance and self-destruction or selfishness, they will not see their children as anything different than they themselves are. That's why so many children are born and they're at the mercy of this, the circumstances and the parents and how the parents see themselves. So if the, parent, if the eye of the, of the beholder is good, then the child will be good. If the eye of the beholder is full of bloodshed and evil, then the child will be treated at, with contempt and disregard. And I really believe that this is we will give an account he says it would be better for a millstone to be hung around your neck than for one of these little ones to be cast into the sea. Um, so we have been made innocent with an opportunity. But, but the problem is Satan also sees that in, innocence as an opportunity to exploit and deceive and use that to turn that person as an instrument of unrighteousness uh, against others. And so we have uh, this generational downfall uh, avalanche of cascading sins coming down the bloodlines and each generation gets worse. Um, This is why we grow up uh, with such distractions and distortions about who we are, because we believe the evil words, the evil report of all those around us, the ones who raise us, um, we're caught up in their folly and either try to, you know, as a child, you are going to either try to fix that parent or get angry with them. You're going to try to make them feel better or you're going to feel fit like a failure because you can't. You get angry because of all the injustices that they're committing against you in violating the law of love. So that's why a lot of children are rebellious because they weren't heard, they weren't listened to, or they perceived. Maybe the parent had good intentions, but the child was you know, misled by, this, by the inner soul story, the talk, the self-talk, to make them believe that they're being uh, you know, mistreated or not listened to. Um, so many of us, therefore define ourselves by, by and who we are by what we come out of um, this is so detrimental because the sources of our our instruction the snake pit the way we we're raised um, hmm. is is corrupt most of it's very corrupt compromised and the truth has been compromised to accommodate the lie in other words it's like someone who plants their garden you know made a place for the weeds by planting weed seeds right along with the plants that they intend to, to harvest. So you have that we that the world has made many places for the lies. Matter of fact, the world is pretty much all lies. Um, and so when this happens, you plant the lie next to the truth, the seed of the truth. The, the garden is going to be full of, of work and weeds. The life is going to be full of work and frustrations. Well, the, you know, Proverbs 22, six says to the parents, train up a child mm-hmm. in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he, is, he will not depart from it. You know, in the way that he should go, and I think that's one of the things you're talking about here, there's such a mixture that the parents um, set the course in so many ways, set the direction of where this, where, where this child is going. So, 
there's a mixture because we have no perfect parents. God is God the Father is the perfect parent, but there's there's even in the most godly uh, homes, there can be some uh, misdirection that comes or mm-hmm. some the child misinterprets mm-hmm. some experience. Oh, like my mom is so hard on me or my dad is so hard on me. Well, maybe maybe it's maybe there's harshness, maybe there's rigidity there, or maybe that child does not perceive that the reason there are like warnings and guidelines given is for the protection of that child. And, and, and also the development and the spiritual and physical and, you know, every, every part of the development of that child. But we also have to realize that many children are rightly perceiving what's going on and it is not good. And they are not wrong in their perceptions because they right. are living in a true, difficult, dangerous, uh, demonic, selfish situation. And so the thing that happens is um, the child has no, no other anchoring or guideline except themselves. They don't have a mentor. They don't have someone say, here's what's really supposed. They don't have the word of God. Most of those children are not, are not introduced to the word of God. And many who are are introduced to the wrong gospel anyway. So it doesn't really make it easy, any easier. It actually makes it worse. And so the thing is, we're, we're all in this snake pit floundering to try to figure out where's the, where's the rock? Where's the truth? Where's what I stand on? Jesus is the rock. And our life is ultimately not to be all about us and how we look and what we do and what they write on our tombstone. It's to be all about him. And that's where greatness comes in. So we see with the disciples, going back to Luke 9, they, they had some desire for greatness, which was innate. That's an innate desire in us to be great because we want, to, we want, to be, we want, we want those things. Those things are who we are. We want truth and goodness and righteousness, recognition. But Jesus said, um, you know, you don't even know, uh, you know, what you're talking about or how to get it because you're comparing yourselves with, with yourselves. Um, and then they went on to say in verse 49, it, John says, and answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we forbade him because he does not follow us, follow with us. So here again, they're trying to define who they are by what they do. And this guy over here, he's doing it, but he's not keeping the rules. We're keeping the rules. We're the only ones who should get to do this because we've got the right religion and we've got the right way to do it. And, so, and Jesus says, you don't forget, forbid him. He says, do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is for us. Sometimes we don't even recognize our own friends. We, if, you're, if you're not in my denomination, if you're not in my way of thinking, you know, because I've got the right rules, it's not about having the right rules. The rule is this, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. The law is love. All the law, it says in Galatians, is fulfilled in this, that you love your neighbor, love yourself. All the law is fulfilled in that you love one another. And with that comes, the other, the other side of that coin is you have to also forgive them. Because a lot of what's happening out here is offenses all over the place. Satan is clobbering us up every day, setting us up in opposition to ourselves. And the Bible says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but Satan wants to get the word turned flesh against flesh and flesh and blood against flesh and blood, family against family member against family member, so that the whole war is deflected to some tiny little, and we never understand the real battle is to, for the kingdom of God, to seek and stake that which is lost. And so we get distracted, we get hung up, we get bitter, we get mad, we stay mad, we cross our arms and say, I'm never going to talk to you again. And we die 20 years later with bitterness in our soul and arthritis in our bones and go to and die. 
Well, there, there's a and go massive, to meet our judge. Right. There's a massive multifaceted movement that's orchestrated by the enemy through this world evil world confusion that yeah. we have. And here's what it here's what it does. Romans twelve two. He says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove mm-hmm. what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In in, in some uh, paraphrases or translations would say, don't let the world, this evil world system, system. Mm-hmm. pour you into its mold. Yeah. So if something's in a mold, it can, it's conformed to the shape of that mold. So the, the enemy is wanting to conform us. You know, it's just, it's to like. The image of not the dear son his, of God. Right. The image, the, the image of. His right, image. His image, really, yeah. because yeah. it's interesting. Uh, if you if you look back in the old the Old Testament to the book of Daniel, remember the four uh, there's Daniel and the three Hebrew children we refer mm-hmm. to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's how we know those guys. But really, their names their meant names, what? Their names what? Daniel's name meant God is my judge. Uh, uh, Shadrach uh, and the, his, his real name was Hananiah, mm-hmm. which means Yahweh is gracious or God is gracious. Uh, Meshach. Uh, his name was Azariah, which means Yahweh has helped. And Abednego, uh, uh, his name was Mishael, which means who is like God or who is what God is. So these guys, uh, they, there was an effort. They were brought out as mm-hmm. young men. You know, Israel had sinned. Mm-hmm. Judah had sinned. They were carried off captive into Babylon. They experienced major changes in their location, their environment. Their, their diet. names, <laughs> education, mm-hmm. language, yeah, their diet, but they didn't. But yet, they consciously kept their identity right. as as men of Israel, sons and, of Israel, and they kept the identity of their God. And they lived up to their names. Too. They lived up to their names. Each mm-hmm. one did. They had great wisdom. They had great character. They, they knew not, God was gracious. Were, God helped them. God was the judge. He the, knew he knew the truth. Right. The the world we could say this pagan world was wanting to conform squish them, them. And squish them and swallow that, up. That's exactly what God mm-hmm. is wanting to do to not only our children, the children the, the, of the godly, but to all Satan of us as believers. Satan is wanting to conform us into this uh, world system guided swallow by his rules, up. his mm-hmm. principles to swallow us up to conform us to make us like what he wants us to be. And, and God is here. To, he's called us to be, it says in Romans 8, to be conformed to the, the image, image of his, his son. son. And speaking of that, you have in the Old Testament many examples of men who did not quite understand who they were. Moses said, I can't speak. Gideon says, who, who, who am I? Um, who are you talking to? We have many examples. But in the New Testament, I just want to bring up one. Um, well, maybe two actually of the men of God, the disciples who were following Jesus and uh, going on into Luke, the same chapter we're in verse chapter nine, he says, now it came to pass verse 51, when the time had come for him to receive, be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans and prepared prayer for him. But when they did not receive him, because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? 
just as Elijah did. But he turned and rebuked them. And you notice that word rebuke. He rebuked Peter. We talked about that last week. He turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. You do not know who you are. You do not know who you are listening to right now. For that wasn't his plan. He says, my, my idea here, my plan here, he says, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So his plan was to go there to save the lost, not to command fire to come down on them if they wouldn't listen to him. And that's just the difference between Jesus' agenda of seeking and saving the lost and our, I, 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 many times, the devil's agenda to confuse Jesus' agenda with us being upset because they're not keeping some rule. They're not keeping some law. They've sinned. And so we, wanna, we focus on all about their sin. Jesus knew the Samaritans. They were half-breeds in a way. They were not, pure, they were not purely Hebrews or, or Jews. They had mixed and married with some others. And yet Jesus he dealt a lot with them. He actually talked to the woman at the well who was a Samaritan. He, taught, he stopped. He would walk through Samaria. The other holy, pious, you know, untouchables would cut, cut their journey, add 50 to 100 miles to their journey just to walk around Samaria so they wouldn't contaminate themselves with the dust of these dogs. But Jesus didn't do that. So here's the deal. The point is Jesus said, you do not know what manner of spirit you're, spirit you're listening to. What is he talking about here? Obviously, it was not his. It was not his spirit that was directing them. And this leads, Jesus knew who he was because he knew where he was from. And because of his origin, he had the authority to speak from that knowing, from his identity, knowing his mission, knowing his, his job was to go to Jerusalem, to die on the cross, not just to win a popularity contest here and win, run for king or something. Origin gives you the authority. That's you right. Know, and knowing your origin, like you said, he knew where he was from. He knew his authority. And, and it's the same way, too. There's an old line from the uh, movie series uh, Roots years ago. I never really saw it, but I remember this line hearing thought that if you don't know where you are, where you come from, you don't know where you're going. Right. And, and when we know our origin, that we're created in the likeness of the image of God and we're recreated, uh, we're, I think it's uh, in Ephesians 2, it says we're created in Christ Jesus unto good, works. Unto good mm-hmm. works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of, we're recreated with an origin. Our origin is heaven. Our origin is the heart of God. Mm-hmm. Our origin is, is being his it's, creation. We, we are not mm-hmm. in a place where we've, you know, we, we somehow evolved over billions of years crawled out of some primordial slough and it was just some accident and some chance. That's been one of the lies. Evolution has been one of the great lies of the enemy that's, that's messed us up really bad. But we are out of the heart of God created by a righteous, holy, and loving God. And Jesus said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost, not to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So his mission was a mission of redemption. It was a, a restoring back to the divine origin and nature. This is very good news for those of you who know Jesus, because this is where we're going. We're going back to where we came from. We're going back to heaven. Heaven is our home. 
we're here on a temporary journey. We're here soldiers, pilgrims passing through, sojourners, if you will, travelers, you know, deposited on, on earth, dropped on this planet to do the will of God for a time to seek and save, to know that we're loved, to move forward, and then go be caught back up into heaven with him. But the thing is going now deeper into this who I am. Let's look for a minute. Jesus said in, in Luke 10, the next chapter, he says, I have given, I know Satan. I saw him, verse 18, 10, 18. I saw him fall up from heaven as lightning. I know this is a war. I know this. I was there. I saw it happen. You guys either believe me or you don't. But he says, I give you authority. I give you, I'm going to give you some power and authority here to trample on the serpents and the scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you because I declare this protection, this authority that's covering over you because you're in this messy world, because there's some things you're going to have to do, things you have to, going to have to walk through and you need to know who you are. Um, he says, and he says, but don't rejoice in this, that you have authority over the demons, but rejoice in that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We have our reservations back in the kingdom of heaven. But in chapter 11, we're talking more about this spiritual internal war, the war over identity when he says um, he's just cast out a demon that was this demon was making this man be mute. And when the demon came up, the man spoke and the multitudes marveled and said, some says, but he casts out demons by uh, Beelzebub, uh, by the ruler of the demons. He gets the power from the devil. And others says, well, give us a sign from heaven as if this isn't a sign of enough. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against the house falls. This is exactly the principle, the war principle, the principle of war that Satan is using against you to divide your house, to set you up in opposition to yourself, as the old King James chapter, um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, 5, and 6 says, set you up in opposition to yourself. Bring down the house, divide it in two, set you up, your own worst enemy, your, um, your, your, your soul against your spirit, to divide the house, to set up a war, a debate, so it kind of shuts you down causes you to stagnate and you don't overcome because you haven't resolved the matter of who you are, where you're from, what you're here for, and where you're going. These are the questions and issues of identity. So say, if Satan, he says, he goes on to say, if Satan is, gonna, is also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? You know, he said, Satan is not stupid. He is not going to set himself up in opposition to himself. He's going to, to bring to favor to one side and opposition. He is both sides. He's playing both sides to look good, both sides to look right, and both sides to fight with each other so that they will do his dirty work for him and tear it on the house. Satan cannot do anything to you unless he gets your agreement. And he gets our agreement when we so simply fall into the trap of feelings and thinking, thinking every thought you thought is yours. Those are temptations to follow the devil and, and, and fall into his trap. So then he says, but if I cast out demons, with the finger of God, he says, the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. So we have evidence here that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is right there right now in the midst of them with this casting out of this demon and in this discussion that the kingdom of God has come to earth through Jesus Christ, who has become the uh, author and the initiator, the redeemer, the sacrifice, the, the, the point man for heaven to restore heaven, earth. Man to God. In the Gospels, we read that the in the early stages of Jesus' ministry, his message was this: "Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, mm-hmm. or the kingdom of heaven is at hand." Really, can say those are interchangeable. Thing. 
repent. In other words, change your mind, change your thinking, you know, get out from the conformity to the lies of the enemy mm-hmm. is what really it is, and believe the truth. Kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Basically, at hand there means it's right in front of you. And it's here we, now, in we, the midst we, of us, we right now. We could say it's mm-hmm. right here in the midst of us. Mm-hmm. It's in your face. And so we've entered in to the, to the kingdom of God. That's to to be children of the kingdom of God. That's why he came, to make us mm-hmm. into children of the kingdom of and God. And, you know, if Jesus would come today in in the flesh to start his ministry in 2000, uh, 2017, he would have started with the same thing. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. But the problem is today if there's any other problem, it's the addition of problems. It's that now we don't believe God exists. Now we have so many other options. We have money. We have technology. We have a, a zillion distractions. And we have all of our own ways to keep ourselves from needing anything from God, which really are ways that set us up to have greater needs than ever. But we don't recognize that. So our needs for uh, truth and revelation and rescue, are the, uh, the obvious need for those things, is totally diminished in the distractions and in the self-helps. And see, so we're, we're deceived into believing I am what I do, so we'll go chase after a new car, a new house, a new, a new love affair, blah, blah, blah. And we miss the whole big picture, the whole point. Now, let's go down one more line in this verse 21. He says, um, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. 21, when a strong man fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when, stronger, when, when one a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all of his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through the dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. And so therefore, Jesus is saying, this is how the plot goes. This is how the plot thickens. The strong man comes to attack, and he will attack you, first of all, on your right to be there, on your right to life, on your identity to be in that house. If you don't take a firm stand on this is my life, my house, I'm, I'm, I'm giving it by God. It's mine rightfully. If you kind of give it away willy-nilly and think, well, I don't deserve it anyway, blah, 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 Satan <clears throat> will move in. The robber, the thief who stands at the door, you'll invite him in. You'll agree with him. He'll come in. He'll start eating out of your refrigerator. He'll sleep in your bed. He'll you know, play with your kids. He'll steal your money. He will take over your life because demons are disembodied spirits. Jesus knew that. And so they're going to be looking for an empty house. They don't like to be homeless. It's not an empty house. They're going to <clears throat> move right in there with you. But he says, um, when we don't know who we are, basically, we don't guard our, our house. Um, when we do know who we are, where our palace is safe, our goods are at peace. But if, a strong, if, if Satan comes and convinces us that we are no good, can't do it alone, should have known better, et cetera, et cetera, then he overcomes them with his reasoning, his rhetoric, his, his condemnation, uh, blaming, uh, you know, responsibilities, making this thing look like it's supposed to be there. They did something wrong. Then he comes, uh, he comes in to take over. But um, if an unclean spirit is found out, exposed, cast out, as Jesus said to do, cast them out, 
And he then he's we are talking demonic intelligence here. That demon goes back wandering around. Says, wait, wait, wait. I can do this. I just got to get me seven buddies, people, demons who are stronger than me, and we'll go in there and we'll take over, and we can all live in the house. Um, <clears throat> and that's why when people stop something like an addiction or something, and they pick it up again, it gets immediately like seven times worse. Worse with a great vengeance, it comes back upon them worse than ever before, because Jesus says. You have to sweep the house and fill the house. You can't just leave it empty. You have to put in there a determination to follow God, a commitment to God, the word, the spirit of God. Yeah, because one addiction can be uh, exchanged for another, you know, uh, or replaced by another. You get rid of alcohol, then maybe you get onto sugar. Sugar, yeah. And that sort of thing. But here's the point is that Satan, the strong man in your life, wants you to think he is you. That's right. So uh, who you may think is you thinking and speaking and acting mm-hmm. may not be you. It's me and me is not you. You me are and is, I am. Me is not you. So, me is a reflection of so, you. If you so, stand and look in the mirror. So you... just me yeah. is really identifying the strong a demon. Man. And the, the strong man, these are Jesus of the kingdom of God is within you. And so these demons are coming to take over a property, a position, a, a, a kingdom, a position in a kingdom. And if you're a kingdom, they're coming to invade the territory, the country. We're the country, a country. You're a country. And so these spirits, there are different two ways to name demons by what they do, like Jesus did with the deaf and dumb and unclean and mute and uh, all those spirits that he named specifically or heaviness or whatever. There's many of them named in the Bible, but you can, you can name them as what, according to what they do. The other way is by what they hold on to. And we have that story in Daniel where the, the prince of Persia had come or was resisting the, 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 Arch- the uh, Gabriel, the messenger angel, to come to get through to Daniel to give him the message. And so then as, at the end of that conversation, he says, I got to get going because the, the prince of Greece, of Greece is also going to be against me. So this messenger angel had to get through the second layer of heaven, second heavens, to get back to his home base of operation in heaven. But the thing is, Though it's the interesting is that those demons are territorial spirits that were naming themselves according to the territories that they held on. So the the strong man that most people and counselors don't ever deal with, not even Christian counselors really deal with this. I don't know of any other kind of I know life recovery we do this all the time, but I don't know others who are that they don't want to get that. That's too messy. That's too nebulous. That's too whatever. But it's a fact that the strong man will take your name. And if you realize the demons set themselves up in a hierarchy of rule and position in your life, you know, there's the little guys, the, the, the worker bees, and then you get up to the queen bee. If you understand that this is in a hierarchy like this, that if you bind the strong man who's the captain, the general, uh, the one who would use your name, because that's how your property, your country is named by you. Your, your, your name is the name of your country, and it is the name of the property Satan is trying to invade. And he does this. By setting you up in opposition to yourself, by getting to think and feel that the things you're thinking, feeling, and doing are you. Many of the things we're doing are, we don't want to do them. Paul says, there's some things I'm doing I don't want to do, Romans 7.20. If I'm doing what I don't want to do, it's not me doing it. He says, it's the war going on inside of me. I'm the one who wills to do good. But I see this war going on inside of me. And so we see that there's, and he says in Romans 12, uh, 6.12, he says, do not yield yourself. Do not pers- permit sin, king sin, to rule as, in your, as king in your mortal, short-lived, perishable body to make you obey it. 
in its lust, evil passions, and cravings. So there is a war going on. He says, don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but yield yourself to God. Don't yield your tongue to gossip. Don't, you know, your tongue can, be, can praise God one second and gossip and judge somebody this, the next. That is not okay. It is to yield our members, whether it's your hands, your feet, your eyes, your tongue, your liver, and purposes of the kingdom of God and the will of God. And so therefore we become one. We become, we're not divided. We're not set up in opposition to ourselves. When we believe the lies of guilt, for example, we get set up in opposition to ourselves in our immune system. Your immune system says, well, you know, if she's guilty and she says and claims and acts as if she is, then she's bad. And the immune system is ordered, you know, set up by God to calibrate it, to defend us from that which is declared to be bad. And that's why we get allergic to things because we, we perceive that green beans and lettuce uh, cause an allergy or strawberries, that they cause an allergy or a reaction. Now, I'm not talking about the GMO pesticide fruits and vegetables that you might have a legitimate reaction to. I'm talking about God did not create strawberries to be in opposition to the body or blueberries. Now, you may not like blue, blueberries or strawberries. Maybe your taste buds don't like that. But how many varieties of things are there? Surely there's something out there that has the right shape, texture, and color and flavor that you can eat made by God that will not cause you to become icky, reacted, tummy ache, blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, Satan has convinced us through this psychological recondition to program us to believe every time you eat a strawberry, you break out in a rash or something, that now it must be the strawberry. Well, maybe if you tried clean strawberries, organic strawberries, and stopped believing the lie that you're allergic to strawberries, you probably could eat them with no problem. But the, because God is not going to set himself up in opposition to himself to create in us a, 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 a resistance to the thing he's given us to do and eat. For example, this is an eating subject, but Satan in every way is trying to set you up in opposition to who you are and create these uh, extraneous, uh, indirect reactions that redefine you as I'm allergic, uh, I've, I've got allergies, I've, I, and those are demonic things. We're not saying you're bad or you're, we're saying you're being oppressed. God does not create us to have allergies. God does not create people to have asthma. God does not create people to be sick. It doesn't bring glory to God for people to be sick. You know, and yet we put up with it and we say, well, it's my cross to bear. Well, you know, God gives us grace and in all things, all things work together for good. But let's see what God has to say about this. When sin sets up something bad in your life, don't stop there. Keep going. Go forward. Move forward. Now see what God is going to do as a response to that. Keep going. Do not be afraid. Don't sit down in the middle of the road and say, I give up. Oh, woe is me. Say, no, Satan got to make his move. Now what's God's move? Go forward. Romans, the last part of Romans 12, 2 again, says, be transformed. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The transformation, this, the renewing of our mind will, will transform us. In, in other words, we need to be brainwashed, heartwashed with the word of God mm-hmm. that really defines us. Yeah. We, we need to be deprogrammed from the conformity and the lies of the enemy, the lies of the world, and uh, transformed, reprogrammed by the word of God, the truth, knowing the truth. That sets Listen. us free. Yes. And so it's, it's, a, it's a process. Part of it is revelation. Sometimes revelation is like the a lights sudden, go on yeah. all at once. Mm-hmm. 
And then sometimes the lights go on gradually. It's mm-hmm. a process of learning who you are mm-hmm. and, and rejoicing in who you are and then fulfilling the purpose as to why you're here. Mm-hmm. That good uh, and, and perfect, perfect will, will of God. Of God. Right. And so part of knowing who you are also knows who, knowing who you are not. And right. the strong man comes in to impersonate you, like Jerry said, to get you to believe you are the things you're doing, saying, feeling, and thinking. And then you feel bad about those things, and then you're all in a tangle trying to quit doing what you can't stop. And so the point is, it's not about just knowing who you are, but also knowing the plot, the internal war, the battle that's going on inside of you for you and against you at the same time. God is for you, the devil's against you, and Satan is trying to take over your life as the strong man. And, it's, and you are the one who's going to determine by whose report you're going to believe who wins in this war. So, Father God, we thank you for the victory. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, who rightly helps us rightly divide that word. We thank you for those who are hearing today. And we pray that you would keep this uh, before them, that this is where the real truth, the real war, the real decisions, the real life, the real values are, are in the word of God, in the truth of who I am, in the truth of Jesus Christ coming to redeem us out of the snake pit. This is the big picture. This is the real story. And, Father, we ask that you'd help us to understand it and grasp it in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord God, and I just am agreement, Lord, This we will all grasp this in increasing measure, Lord, through the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ today and days to come. I ask this, Father, now in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, and our King. Amen. And hey, guys, you can do us a favor, a favor, do yourself a favor, help the kingdom of God out here and tell someone about Rescue Radio. It's, you can get it on your Twitter. You can get it on Facebook. You can get it on our computers, liferecovery.com, Rescue Radio. Um, this is also sponsored by True Light Church, MN.org. So uh, thank you for listening. God bless you. Have an awesome week. Talk to you next week, next week the Lord willing. for your soul.